The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 362, powered by RageWorks, broadcasting live Wednesday, August 24th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. We air every Wednesday and Thursday at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Wednesdays, we cover MMA and wrestling. Thursdays, we shift gears and jump into gaming and entertainment. A couple of different ways you can participate in tonight's show. First off, you can head over to mtrlive.com. And not only will you get access to our video feed, but also an audio-only feed for the show. In addition to that, we have a chat room set up with the show running live. Last but not least, you can also catch archives of this show on RageWorks.net. Also, video archives on YouTube and audio archives on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. A couple of things we want to get out of the way first before we jump into this week's episode. Uh, first and foremost, last week, we announced the winner of our Deadpool contest Really excited. Congratulations to Eric on winning the contest. Your prize is going out this week. In case you are tuning into this episode, you know that your prize is going out. We got another prize on deck for another contest that we're going to be launching very, very soon. Uh, Details for that, of course. Keep an eye out for it on RageWorks.net. Last but not least, as always, follow us on social media for additional updates. Okay, so... First thing I want to let you guys know is our broadcast schedule for the month of August. If you missed last week's episode, uh, we will not be doing live episodes of MTR next week. Uh, We're going to just take some time off for the Labor Day holiday, but we will be back in action the first Wednesday and Thursday of September at 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific, which will be our new start time going forward. I also mentioned last week that, you know, we're going to move to 1130 permanently unless obviously we have guests or the schedule dictates otherwise, uh, primarily just because of my schedule and to be able to, 
you know, not have to force people to constantly adjust their schedules to tune in. We're just going to move it up an extra half hour to give us time to account for any hardware issues, software issues, etc. Obviously, if there's any changes with regards to broadcasts, we will definitely let you guys know in advance, either on Facebook, Twitter, or any of our other social media platforms. The other thing, we should be simulcasting this show now on Twitch, Restream, Vaughn Live, Stream Up, and Daily Motion. We got the Daily Motion stream up and running, so there's going to be a couple of different ways for you guys to check out video of the show. Unfortunately, and I've mentioned this before, I don't have all the other streaming sources open to see all the chat, so all the different chat rooms, so please I let me direct you to like I said, mtrlive.com, where we have a chat where you can interact with myself, Slick, and any of the other uh, viewers and listeners for the evening's show. But again, we are happy to officially be now on Daily Motion live streaming as well. Now, as I mentioned, you know, we're still finalizing the conversion from My Take Radio on iTunes to the RageWorks Network, and that's going to hopefully be finalized by month end, if not sooner. And, of course, that will allow you guys to get all our shows, and you won't have to specifically look for My Take Radio. Just look for the RageWorks Network and, of course, all our other shows on there. Black is the New Black, uh, Call Me When It's Over, the regular season sportscast, which just aired its 50th show. Congrats to Jay and his crew on that big milestone. And, of course, uh, Black Black is the New Black is approaching uh, 50 episodes as well, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Also... Our debuts on Spotify, Google Play, and also on iHeartRadio are imminent. Uh, We're definitely around the corner with that stuff, and hopefully we should have that finalized as well. So when we come back in September, you will have those other audio options to consume episodes of MTR or any of our other shows. Last but not least, um, you know, very sad piece of content we had to put out today from our very own Quark as he was officially burying uh, the Buried Column. As you know, Quark and Blade hosted the Buried Show, and, you know, life gets in the way, and Quark went at it alone for a little bit, and he realized that it just, you know, he couldn't... It wasn't his thing to be able to, you know, do it himself, by himself, I should say. Uh, He opted to go off into the sunset, and with that, you know, the Buried Show went with him. Uh, He continued to maintain... Uh, the Buried Presence, courtesy of the Buried Column on RageWorks.net, which came over from MyTakeRadio.com from those days. But, um, you know, it turns out that Quark, it, it just it's tough, you know, with, with life getting in the way, trying to keep on top of all the wrestling, trying to find different moments uh, to do that stuff. So with that, you know, the Buried Column came to a close. But um quark is still working with us he's going to be doing stuff with quark's corner which you guys saw he did some stuff on gundam recently which is pretty cool and he's going to be doing some other stuff on the site so be on the lookout for other content from quark as well uh the other thing i did want to address obviously um you know my take radio turned 10 years old um well let me rephrase that it's turning 10 years old this month And the first episode, I believe, aired October 29th, 2006. And, um, you know, it's been a wild ride. Very, very grateful for all the work that, you know, all of our team, all of the members of our team have done over the years as we continue to grow, improve, and give you guys the best content possible 
also Rageworks officially turned two on uh, August 18th, as a matter of fact, which is when Rageworks.net went live. And we pretty much commenced the merger with MyTakeRadio.com to what we have today. So um, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. Uh, grateful to everybody who's been involved, both directly and indirectly. And, you know, the people that were with us from the beginning that have remained with us and obviously those that were on board at different parts of the journey. Uh, very, you know, very cool milestones for us. Didn't do a whole big thing about Rageworks turning, you know, turning two or the MTR anniversary. I figure maybe at the end of the month I will put something out, a piece out, acknowledging those two milestones. But nonetheless, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of great stuff. We got another great month of downloads. I, I want to thank all of you guys, old and new, that have been turning into tuning into our on-air product whether it's live shows with MTR or Black is the New Black or podcasts like Call Me What It's Over or TRSS. Um, grateful for all the uh, continued people that lend us their ears every day, every week, every month, every year. Uh, we just continue to grow. August was an amazing month. Uh, broke 100,000 downloads overall since inception. And that's a combination of obviously MTR plus all of our other shows. Uh, you know, 100K is nice. And we're going to keep growing that and improving that and making that better for you guys. So with that said, I wanted to get that housekeeping out of the way. Be on the lookout for additional contests in the in the in the short term. But long term, we're going to try and do some more stuff uh, going into the fall. Obviously, we got Brawling for Boobies, which we are possibly going to bring back in partnership with Coleman for the Cure as usual and perhaps uh, a couple of other partners that are genuinely interested in doing something special with us. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. But um, I'm really hoping that if we do something, we can do it on a, on a larger scale. Uh, maybe we'll work with somebody and do something locally. But in any case, it's something that I'm going to try and see if we can do something better with it this time around. Again, keep it locked to RageWorks.net or episodes of My Take Radio for updates on that. All right. That's going to wrap up the housekeeping for this week. Well, for this episode, I should say. Uh, a couple of things. What do we got on deck? Obviously, we're going to talk about UFC 202 and the Diaz-McGregor fight, the destruction of Glover Teixeira by Anthony Rumble Johnson, the amazing stellar performance by Donald Cowboy Cerrone against Rick Story. We're going to get into the MMA news of the week. As always, we will take your calls, 347-324-3541. 3473243541 Obviously on the wrestling side chock full of craziness SummerSlam NXT Raw SmackDown Live The Miz's promo Randy Orton Staples it's it's it was a wild 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 week uh the fisticuffs that almost happened between Brock Lesnar and Chris Jericho we are going to talk about that there's there's so many different things and of course if you guys want to participate as I said Three four seven three two four three five four one is the call in number three four seven three two four three five four one. All right, so let's jump right into the MMA news this week. UFC 202 came at us this Saturday, and it was 
a cavalcade of F-bombs, middle fingers, and blood and gore and violence. Uh, sounds like just a regular day in the office for the fighters of the UFC and for the fans as well. But it was interesting for me because the build-up to UFC 202 was something that many people weren't really invested in until McGregor and Diaz turned it up to a completely different level. And a lot of that has to do with, obviously, the the oversaturation of MMA, especially from the UFC with all their different cards. And obviously, there's a lot of fights that come and go that people aren't really invested in as fans. And there's a couple of fighters, and I say this genuinely, a couple of fighters that are capable of just bringing together, you know, different fans, casual, hardcore, in you know, guys that are that are trying to represent for their for their nationalities under one umbrella and it's usually a melting pot which can get a little rough at times but I gotta say for for a card that had no legitimate ramifications and I and I really got to be honest when I say that no legitimate ramifications going into it that it delivered a lot of really really good fights and you know I was going to do the bugs of UFC 202 but let's not kid ourselves the the card itself was solid uh, a lot of good moments, and I want to obviously pluck a couple of key matches that I want to discuss because it's easy to just do the bugs and kind of go into that. But I did want to uh, talk about some of the other fights that popped up. One in particular, Neil Magny, Lorenz Larkin. A lot of people were upset that these guys were fighting on the prelims instead of fighting either on the Fox card or on the pay-per-view itself. And I got to agree, I mean, the ending to that fight was ridiculous. Lorenz Larkin, beautiful TKO finish uh, via elbows. It was it was nasty. It was a, a nasty finish, a really good performance by Lorenz Larkin. I actually would have thought that, you know, I like Neil Magny. I've seen him fight a few times, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, Magny can definitely be a problem for a guy like Lorenz Larkin. And that wasn't even the case. Larkin was just on another gear for this fight, and it definitely showed. I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed uh, with his performance. I was also shocked somewhat by the fight between Courtney Casey and Randa Marcos. Randa Marcos was on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, She was very solid, a a good technician on the show, and I said to myself, you know, if if she gets a deal, she'll probably get a little seasoning, and she'll be able to go in there and do what she's got to do. But um, Courtney Casey played the role of spoiler with a beautiful arm bar in the first round, submitting Ronda Marcos. Uh, you know, it's interesting for me because the strawweights, it's such a very, very deep and competitive division that sometimes you lose track of some of the fighters that are on the come up. For me, you know, I didn't know much about Courtney Casey going in, and I was just thoroughly blown away by the transition and just the work that she put in. For that armbar. Definitely was good. Uh, the other fight, Artem Lobov was fighting on that card, of course, friend of Conor McGregor taking on Chris Avila. And, you know, Lobov came in, everybody knows coming out of Conor's camp, especially for Artem, who was also on the Ultimate Fighter. People had a lot to say. Some people were saying that Artem was riding the, uh, the coattails for, you know, for McGregor going into this card. And, you know, it was a, it was almost like they were throwing him a bone. A lot of people were saying Artem was a, was a solid fighter on the, on the show itself, on the Ultimate Fighter. And I think he's a, he's a good addition to the roster. I think that 
he hasn't really been a guy that's capable of delivering ultra exciting fights. Like it was good. It was a good fight, which he won via unanimous decision. I just wasn't as invested as I would have liked to be. And, you know, the thing that gets me with that is that sure, you know, everybody talks about, Oh, you want to, you want to go in there and you want to give every fighter a shot and you want to appreciate the science and the nuances and everything. And that's fine. But sometimes I just want to watch a fight for the sake of being entertained. And, that sometimes dictates how I view the fight. I mean, you know, we're going to get into the, the Diaz-McGregor fight, and there was there was things about the fight that were good. There were things about the fight that were bad. Um, you know, and Artem Lobov's fight, was it was all right. You know, it wasn't anything really spectacular to write home about. I will say, though, that, you know, Cody Garbrandt and Takeya Mitsugaki's fight was was awesome. You know, Cody Garbrandt looked really good in that fight. Um, you know, Takeya Mitsugaki is not a pushover by any means, and to be taken out the way he was taken out, you know, in just 48 seconds of the first round, that's, you know, that's highlight reel worthy for sure. Now, I did want to talk about, and, you know, this was a fight that I had mentioned last week I was really looking forward to, Donald Cerrone, Rick Story, uh, two guys that are that are hitters, really, really dangerous on the, on the, on the you know, on the feet, and... It was just, it was just insane. I mean, you know, the first round was pretty close. Cerrone looked solid, you know, setting the pace. Second round, though, Cerrone dialed it in and finished the fight with a beautiful four-hit combo that, you know, you've probably seen highlights for for it on social media, and it was just stellar to see. Like, you know, we talk about mixed martial arts and we talk about the discipline and you know the highlight reel finishes, but sometimes you just got to sit back and appreciate just a complete display of technique. And one thing with Donald Cerrone, which we've seen over over the years, is that there's different aspects of his game that continue to evolve and improve, but his striking consistently is top-notch. And that that four that four hit combo was tremendous. It was a um it was a body punch and a one-two and then a head kick, I believe. Wait, no, it was a body shot. A, a body kick, and then no, damn! It was uh, ah, it was two punches and a body shot and a head kick, if I remember correctly. That was the finish. But I gotta, I gotta tell you guys, four hit, four hit combo, something out of a video game, looked amazing. Cerrone definitely uh, makes a strong case for himself in his division right now with that performance. Uh, it's, it's the water's getting deep at welterweight, man, and you gotta. You got to be ready for, for, for anything. That division, you know, 170, 185, those divisions are, are just stacked with talent. I mean, 145 and 155 are two, but the water's really deep at 170 and 185. And Cerrone definitely uh, made, a, made quite a, a name for himself with that highlight reel finish. People were sharing it all over social media. People were talking about it like, wow, look at that technique. And it's you, you, can't, you can't really say anything more about that than hope that he gets an opportunity in the future to challenge for a title in some capacity. I'd love to see it, that's for sure. Light heavyweights, co-main, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Glover Teixeira. I expected this fight to be a slugfest, but shit, I did not expect it to end in the brutal fashion that it did. Uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson with a with an earth-shattering knockout of Glover Teixeira it was it was nasty. It was, a, it was a brutal uppercut. Pretty much floored him, and that was a wrap for him. Um, the thing that gets me is, you know, 
Anthony Rumble Johnson with this performance really throws uh, Monkey Wrench in the proposed John Jones-Daniel Cormier matchup, especially because Anthony Rumble Johnson had an opportunity against Cormier, lost, went back, reset, has been on a tear ever since, and here we are once again with him knocking on the door of title contention. We're going to get into that a little deeper in the MMA segment, but it was it was a nasty, nasty knockout, and it just shows how how heavy Rumble Johnson's hands are and how quick he can dispatch an opponent. I mean, we talk about it all the time that the guy has, you know, planet-breaking power. The guy, the guy's a beast in every sense of the word. And, you know, I'm really glad that he finally found a home for himself physically at 205 to go out there and give the performance that he did. Glover Teixeira, no disrespect to him, he got caught, but it was nasty. It was definitely a vicious, vicious finish. And, of course, the big one, McGregor, Nate Diaz, there was... There was a, 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 you know, it was amazing the buildup. It really was. And to see these guys facing off in the cage and there was security and the crowd was rabid and, you know, it was exactly what, what it built up to up until they fought. And I say this because the first two rounds, Conor McGregor really set the pace with his striking. Looked, he looked insane. He looked. Tremendous. He actually, you know, rattled Nate Diaz on a couple on Nate, you know, he he rattled him on a couple of occasions and people were just like, oh shit. Oh shit. Like that's what it was. It was it was a lot of oh shit moments in the first and second round. But then from the third round on, you know, Nate Diaz started to wake up. He started tagging McGregor. He started putting together good combinations. He started getting some some good strikes in there. And then the fight just turned into Prant, you know, not Prance, but, you know, walk around the cage, McGregor giving his, you know, turning his back on Nate Diaz, walking away, Nate Diaz giving him the finger, uh, a couple of decent exchanges, and it just felt like you were watching two different fights. And at the end of the day, you know, McGregor came out the victor via majority decision, which was odd to me, but, you know, I watched the fight with, you know, with my wife and Jimbo Slice, we watched it. At the UFC gym, and then prior to doing the show this week, I watched the fight again. And you know, if you watch that fight a couple of times, the outcomes are are going to change a little bit, and I'll tell you why. A lot of people saw that fight going; it, it could have gone pretty much the pendulum could have swung either way at varying points of the fight. Uh, Jimbo Slice during a conversation we had said that fight could have gone to a draw. And it would have made more sense. And I have to agree with him because, you know, McGregor looked really good in the first two rounds. The third round was a toss up, but that fourth and fifth were Diaz all the way through. And of course, people are going to be like, oh, you know, Conor McGregor ran, blah, blah, blah. And the thing is, the judges, the judges are going to look at that fight, you know, in terms of octagon control, which is a factor that they use. Of course, knockdowns are going to factor in takedowns are going to factor in. And Nate Diaz did score a takedown towards the end of the fight, and McGregor rattled him in the first two rounds. So there's there's strong cases that could be made about both guys' performances. But at the end of it all, you had a bloody Nate Diaz, you had a, a you know a Conor McGregor who who went through a war, who went through the trenches. They hugged, they uh you know they appreciated each other, and we were laughing because I said you know these guys are hugging, and they're like yo we just got fucking paid. And it sounds, it sounds, you know, rude to say it that way. But the thing is, for me personally, as a fan, 
I understand. I understand that there's there's a business to this. Obviously, you know, we all want to expect these guys to genuinely hate each other, which we've had plenty of cases where that is true. But then there are guys that realize that even though they, they dislike their opponents, they make money with them. And in Nate Diaz's case, he made a, a, a decent amount of money, which I'll get into in a moment, as did Conor McGregor. Do we need a third fight? Obviously, we're going to get one. Even though Dana White is kind of blah, 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 this and that. But I'm going to be honest. First of all, Conor McGregor looked really good physically at 170. At 155, he always looks like a scarecrow, kind of looks like a, like, a, like, a, like a cricket, you know, all skin and bones. I, I understand 55, that's where you are, 45. You know, those, those weight classes, that's where you want to stay at because that's where you feel you're quote-unquote dominant. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that your your well-being, your physical well-being is a big part of this sport. And you can shorten your career by not respecting your body and your genetics. I mean, a lot of these guys, they go in, you know, they cut 20 pounds in a week, all kinds of crazy shit. They get on the scale, they're dying, they're passed out. And a lot of this stuff is just very, very, very dangerous. I've talked about it, you know, especially now that they don't allow fighters to rehydrate with IVs. You're, you're seeing that type of stuff where fighters just, they're going to, they either go up in weight or they try to just find a more natural balance on where they should stay. And for McGregor, even though obviously at 170, his success has been, you know, 50 50, the, at the end of the day, he just, at, from a physical standpoint, he looked really good. He finally kind of started to, to develop that power that he has at the lighter weight classes at 170. Like I said, he rattled Nate. On two occasions where everybody's like, oh, shit, you know, he was, again, precision, precision striking on his part. Uh, But Nate Diaz, fucking warrior, man, that guy, you got to kill that guy pretty much because he he took some punishment and he just kept pushing the pace, you know, throwing middle fingers, laughing off some of McGregor's strikes, which I'm sure definitely connected and had a little pop to him. But it just goes to show you that these guys, they knew they knew that they were that they were in for a fight. It was going to be a long night. And the funny thing was, you know, Nate Diaz kept trying to get the fight to the ground. McGregor wasn't falling for it, which at this point we know is the case. But it also shows, and and I've said this before, it also shows that McGregor's ground, uh, his comfort on the ground is non-existent. That's not to say that he could have dove in there and, and you know, had a, had a finish on the ground. But it's just the fact that you don't want to engage because you know that Nate Diaz is world class and that's fine. But, the you know, uh, your opponents, the guys that are going to watch tape on you are going to see that, you know, you, you don't like to go to the ground or you don't, quote unquote, feel comfortable going to the ground. And they're going to exploit that. And I think that's something that you've got to be careful for. I mean, don't get me wrong. McGregor did a lot. You know, he did a good job trying to to really stuff a lot of takedown opportunities that Diaz brought to the table. But he he's definitely not a guy that's engaging on the ground on any sort of a regular basis, even if you're learning wrestling for defense instead of offense, it, it we we didn't see that. You know, Diaz would go to the ground, McGregor would be like, yeah, okay, stand back up. And it was what it was. But for me, I think that while there is definitely an opportunity for a third fight, whether Dana White denies it as much as he wants, it, it's going to happen. I just feel that before anyone even looks at a third fight or or anything like that, you have to have McGregor defend his belt. And we all know that Jose Aldo is waiting in the wings for that opportunity. 
and that should be the case. You know, that should be the case regardless. You know, he defeated Frankie Edgar. The winner of that fight was winning the interim belt. He has to fight to unify the titles. That's the name of the game. And yeah, McGregor's like, oh, you know, we'll do a third one. And, you know, Nate Diaz like, yo, we'll do a third one. But you got to defend that that belt or vacate it, which Dana White alluded to. And I'll discuss that later on. Overall, I felt UFC 202 was a card that was that didn't look as promising as it should have on paper, but it definitely delivered when it was all said and done. As for fighter bonuses, $50,000 went to Donald Cerrone. Big shocker there with his finish of Rick Story. Performance bonus also went to Anthony Rumble Johnson. Not shocked. And fight of the night went to Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. Not a shocker there. As for the money that was paid out, Conor McGregor made $3 million for his fight with no win bonus. Nate Diaz made $2 million for his fight. Anthony Rumble Johnson made $270,000, which included a $135,000 win bonus. Glover Teixeira made $65,000, and Donald Cerrone made $170,000, which included an $85,000 win bonus to Rick Story's $41,000. Obviously, if you want to see the rest of the payouts, you can check out MMAJunkie.com. They usually put out a great a great breakdown of payoffs and payouts for those fighters, for the fight in general. Um, look at that. Look at that. McGregor and Diaz were in the million category. You know, three million for McGregor, two million for Diaz. This is this is what we're talking about. These guys, they make money together, and they know that they have something special. Right down to the fans, just rabid, rabid in every sense of the word, from the rowdy weigh-ins to the rowdy press conferences to even the crowd itself in the venue. You knew that you were watching something special. But again, as I said, We're going to get the rubber match. It has to happen, but it should not happen anytime soon. Of course, people are like, yeah, man, that'd be a dope fight, a dope rematch to see at UFC 205 at the Garden. And it's like, no, he needs to defend his belt. That's what needs to happen. You know, we got to we got to cut the bullshit of, oh, you know, I want to do these fights. You're champion. Do what you got to do. Defend your title. Simple as that. So. As I was saying, you know, Dana White popped up on ESPN Sports Center and he he pretty much stood firm that McGregor needs to defend or vacate his belt. We would not be seeing uh Diaz McGregor 3 at this time. You know, he shot down those rumors and he was pretty adamant about it obviously because there's you know, the belt needs to be defended. McGregor on the other hand feels that a third fight should definitely happen. Obviously, he's not stupid, but the problem is that even though McGregor is, quote-unquote, in the driver's seat because of his win and the money he brought in and the revenue, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the usual, the usual fluff, you know, you have a, a responsibility to defend your title and you have a responsibility to the organization that is paying you. And if they tell you, you got to defend your belt, you got to defend your belt, regardless of the clout you think you have, that you're in the driver's seat and X, Y, Z. That, that's, that's great. That's well and good. But at the end of the day, that's not what they want to hear. It's, who do I fight next? Let's make it happen. On the Bellator side of things, you know, we got Bellator's card this coming Friday. Benson Henderson, Patricio Pitbull. Uh, we were going to see the, the cage, de- you know, the uh, MMA debut of Kimbo Slice's son, Kevin Ferguson Jr. Unfortunately... That debut is going to have to be put off for the time being as he ended up getting injured and had to be pulled 
from the fight. Uh, he had to be pulled from the card, and obviously his fight was canceled. But still, the Bellator card this Friday looks really good. As I said, Benson Henderson, Patricio Pitbull is your main event. Uh, you got AJ McKee on that card fighting Cody Walker. Uh, Derek Anderson's fighting Sadawad. Georgie Karakayan is fighting uh, Bubba Jenkins. Solid fights. Bellator hasn't disappointed when it comes to their fights. I really think that people got to give those guys a chance. They're really on the come up. I think, you know, guys like Benson Henderson, you know, Patricio Pitbull, you can't, you can't dismiss those guys. Oh, and Bellator recently signed Rory McDonald as well. So, you know, a lot of people are going to be annoyed about that, that, you know, Rory McDonald no longer with the UFC now in Bellator, but you know, it seems that Bellator made a better offer and, you know, Rory McDonald took it. I think that for McDonald, this might be a great opportunity to make some money, obviously from a sponsorship perspective, but also to find some additional fights that may raise his stock and who knows, maybe put some gold around his waist for, you know, on the Bellator side of things. We'll see what happens once I get news regarding uh, Rory McDonald's Bellator debut. I will share it with you guys, but this Friday, make sure to check out Bellator, Benson Henderson, Patricio Pitbull. It's definitely going to be, a, it, there's going to be fireworks, that's for sure. Another week of MMA, another week of Nevada State Athletic Commission news and suspensions. Brock Lesnar has been temporarily suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission pending, uh, you know, uh, based on the results of the USADA drug test that he failed, including one out of competition and one conducted the same night as UFC 200. Also, in an update regarding John Jones' situation, there may be an opportunity for him to get back in the cage sooner if the rumors of the drug that he was allegedly found uh, found in his test being incorrect. We'll see how that goes. I talked about it last week. You can check out last week's episode for my thoughts on that. As for Brock Lesnar, there are rumors and speculation that he may not get a two-year suspension if it's true based on the fact that the levels that were found in his system allegedly were not super high. He may instead get a one year suspension, but as of right now, that's stuff that's, you know, that's speculation right now until uh, the hearing is conducted by the commission. At the end of the day, if you're guilty, you're guilty and you got to just, you know, pay your fine, take your suspension and keep it moving. But it's going to be interesting to see what the USADA brings forth with regards to both of these fighters as, you know, in John Jones's case, A two-year suspension will definitely hurt his career, but if there's legitimate reasoning behind it and a a solid and a solid defense, who knows? He may he may beat the suspension and resume his activity in the octagon, which is again what was alluded to, which I discussed last week. Now, in Brock's case, it is up in the air at this time, given obviously the the nature of what was found in his system and the fact that the USADA really hasn't put any additional news out there. Now, obviously the Nevada state athletic commission has to do a suspension right now. Um, according to what MMA fighting reports, they're saying that, um, there's, and, and this is what was crazy. It says the WADA code acknowledges that it's possible for drugs like those found on both John for John Jones and Brock Lesnar to enter an athlete's body accidentally and therefore allow a tribunal more flexibility when making a sanctioning decision. This was what was reported on MMAfighting.com. Now, again, poses an interesting situation, especially with this, with the way that this information has been presented as to how 
disciplinary actions, if any, will be rendered on both of these fighters. Once a hearing is conducted, we will definitely try our best to give you guys additional information. If it so happens that any additional information comes out next week while we are off air, then I will try and share that information either on our social media or on RageWorks.net. Another fighter that has been potentially flagged for an anti-doping violation was G was Li Jing Liang, who was um, found guilty of a possible. Well, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. Was notified of a potential doping violation stemming from a sample collected on May 18th, which is two months prior to his fight on the Ultimate Fighter 23 finale. According to the results, uh, it seems that he tested positive for clambuterol, uh, which you know, is typically used in a decongestant and also in a broncholidator. Wow, I probably mispronounced that. Uh, definitely decongestant, but bron- broncholidator. I'm just not even going to read that because it's going to come out terrible and I will sound like a complete jerk off. So not doing that. In any case, they found clenbuterol in his system. Um, but something interesting came out of this, which was crazy. It said that even though... Jing Liang is from China. It has been reported in the news, and this is insane, that there have been issues with meat contamination in China that have been contaminated with clenbuterol, which is fucking bananas. Think about that. You're, you're, you, you might have eaten meat that was tainted with a substance that is illegal, and you didn't even know it. The UFC issued the, the following statement. Uh, the UFC organization was notified by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency that it has informed Li Jingliang of a potential anti-doping violation stemming from an out-of-competition sample collected on May 18, 2016. The USADA also informed the UFC that it initiated an investigation into the source of the prohibited substance detected in Jingliang's sample prior to notifying him of the potential violation. Because of this investigation, USADA has not issued a provisional suspension against Jing Liang at this time. USADA, the independent administrator of the UFC anti-doping policy, will handle the results, management, and appropriate adjudication of this case. It is important to note that under the UFC anti-doping policy, a full and fair legal review process is afforded to all athletes before any sanctions are imposed. Not shocked that they would say that. The Nevada State Athletic Commission has also retained jurisdiction over this matter because Jing Liang's sample was collected prior to his participation on the Ultimate Fighter 23 finale. They go on to add, consistent with all previous potential anti-doping violations, additional information will be provided at the appropriate time as the process moves forward. Now, the crazy thing about this, obviously, aside from fucking meat being tainted with clenbuterol, which is insane is that, you know, the UFC is being forthcoming. They're allowing the USADA and they're explaining the process to, uh, you know, the general public. Because obviously the first thing, as soon as you hear someone was flagged for a doping violation, they're like, oh, they're fucking guilty. Which obviously, you know, it's just it's just something we're so used to because a lot of those guys genuinely are. But it's getting crazier and crazier that all these different things are triggering positive tests, whether it's true or not remains to be seen but the fact that it's been reported in the news that you know meat is tainted with clenbuterol is just just fucking scary so we're gonna definitely keep an eye on this story because this is this is big 
for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, if the Ultimate Fighter is expanding and, you know, they're trying to bring in more fighters from China or other Asian countries, you want to make sure that, obviously, things in the water, things in their, in their food are not going to be leading to these types of results on an ongoing basis, which is definitely going to raise many, many red flags. Of course, we will keep you guys updated as the story develops. Now, I know that we had mentioned a couple of weeks back and in previous episodes the possibility of Ronda Rousey's return to the cage, possibly in time for the UFC's debut in Madison Square Garden. But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. It looks like that may not be the case unless something changes rather quickly. As Dana White popped up on UFC's Unfiltered podcast and said that Ronda Rousey will not fight at UFC 205 on November 12th. White said she's definitely not fighting in New York. I'm actually going to start building the New York card this week. So, you know, a lot of people have been very curious about Ronda's future and when we will expect to see her back in the cage. All signs pointed to, obviously, the big UFC New York card, but clearly that is not going to be the case. In addition to that, um, I did want to talk about what was going on with Nate Diaz and also another bit of Bellator news before we close things out, but I will say this with the Ronda Rousey situation. You know, there's, there's this dependence, and I've said this before, about the UFC just hitching their wagons onto you know, X fighter, Y fighter, and it bites them in the ass. You know, they did it with John Jones, bit him in the ass. Did it with Conor McGregor, bit them in the ass. Um, GSP, to a degree, bit them in the ass. Ronda, same thing. At the end of the day, you have enough of a deep roster and enough fighters to keep people's interest. When Ronda's ready to come back, you will know for damn sure that she's coming back. You know, stop chasing it. Stop hoping that, you know, you can get her for this show or that show. She's under contract. She knows she has an obligation to fulfill. And when she's ready, she'll fight. Obviously, we'd love to see her fight in New York City at the Garden because it's obviously great for the sport, great for the city, great for MMA. But you can't push it. If she's not interested in fighting or doesn't want to fight, you can't do shit about it. Simple as that. Now, I did want to talk about Nate Diaz because there's a very interesting piece of news circulating that he was uh, vaping at the UFC 202 press conference and that the he was actually vaping marijuana, which obviously, if it's true, is going to cause some problems with the USADA. According to what MMA Fighting reports, it says that the USADA is investigating Diaz after he acknowledged that he was using a vape pen at the press conference that contained uh, cannabidiol, which I guess is uh, one of the active cannabinoids in cannabis and is banned in competition by WADA at over a certain threshold. As a result of that, um, MMA Fighting reported that in-competition refers to six hours before and after a fight, which Diaz's appearance fell within. The USADA uses WADA's banned substance list and the organization's spoke, which the organization obviously shared with MMA fighting. I can confirm that the USADA is aware of the situation and is currently gathering information in order to determine the next appropriate steps. Now, in order to test positive, uh, the individual has to have over 150 mLs of marijuana metabolites. Diaz's fight night tests have not yet been returned, so nobody knows if he tested positive or not. 
Uh, they were conducted before the press conference, or if he didn't start vaping until after, it wouldn't show up in any case. However, saying that he was, you know, acknowledging that he was vaping uh, some type of, um, of marijuana-based substance is definitely going to lead to sanctions practically as, you know, on the same lines as if he were actively positive for those substances. So really, really touchy situation with Nate Diaz. Um, you know, I've said before, and I've said it on numerous shows, I don't feel that marijuana is a performance in a performance enhancing substance. On the contrary, you know, it's plant based. It's not, you know, it's a natural thing and it's becoming more and more legal. It's becoming legalized in more and more states across the board. And obviously this isn't because, you know, I'm pro marijuana or whatever. You know, I've mentioned before I am straight edge uh, 100%. And but still, you know, I'm also a realist when I look at this stuff. You know, you look at marijuana. It's I don't feel there's anything performance enhancing about it. On the contrary, it, there there's more performance diminishing facets than anything. So for for people to continue to crucify the Diaz brothers who have gone on record as being, you know, recreational and medicinal marijuana users, it just goes to show you the 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 serious disconnect uh, between, you know, what's publicly acceptable and what's looked at as bad strictly because it's quote unquote bad. If that were the case, then we should, you know, we should hold people accountable that smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol or, you know what I mean? Like, like going down the list, it's the same thing. It, it really is. It, and, you know, it's funny because I saw somebody share on Facebook about how, you know, marijuana is illegal in many states, even though it has, uh, you know, pain relieving properties. But man, people will gladly pay for the OxyContin and and medical insurances will gladly make sure that you get that. So, I mean, it was it was a weird Facebook post that popped up. But, you know, it just it it resonated with me because, again, like I said, you know, I'm not anti marijuana or pro marijuana. I'm just a realist. I'm like, listen, just because, you know, I don't participate in any of that stuff doesn't mean that it's necessarily negative. You know, nobody, nobody's going out there, uh, you know, robbing, robbing people to support a weed habit, you know, crack, cocaine, heroin. There's definitely infinite shit out there that is very, very, very worse. So with that said, in Nate Diaz's case, the bigger issue is that fights over, you're smoking this quote unquote cannabis pen, this vape pen, and you're publicly acknowledging that you did it, which you could have just, hey, hey, Nate, what are you doing? You know, just, eh, you know, just, you could have just not said anything or kept it moving or, hey, what are you smoking in there? Like, you know, at that point, a Nate Diaz or Diaz brother, the fuck does it matter? Answer would have been apropos. But nonetheless, um, a story to watch very, very carefully because this is going to be one of those things where a precedent may be set, especially if anything is levied against Nate Diaz. Because again, these guys, him and McGregor are already in the crosshairs of the commission because of the whole water bottle throwing incident, which, um, you know, the shoe still needs to fall for that. But nonetheless, you, you got to keep an eye out for this story too, because the ramifications can definitely impact uh, Nate Diaz octagon future. 
as the story, if anything additional develops, obviously we will share that with you guys. All right. So last bit of news regarding Bellator this time around. Looks like Bobby Lashley is heading back to the Bellator cage. Uh, the TNA champion currently, uh, also X division king of the mountain champion at one point or another. I think I haven't watched the last two weeks of impact, but at that point that I was watching and he had all the belts, uh, is getting back into the cage. Looks like it's going to be for Bellator 162, which goes down on October 21st. We're also going to see the return of Alexander Schlemenko, which um, allegedly is going to be facing Kendall Grove. Not 100% sure. That was where the rumblings I heard a couple of days ago, but it looks like Kendall Grove and Alexander Schlemenko may be on a collision course at Bellator 162. And, of course, the return of Bobby Lashley to the cage, who last time we saw him was November 2015. Obviously, if we find out about Lashley's opponent, uh, let me rephrase that, Lashley's opponent, obviously not a wrestling match, uh, we'll definitely give you guys updates on that story as well. All right, that's going to wrap up the MMA for this week. Let's switch some gears, jump into some wrestling. All right, so it's it's you know it's going to be one of those segments where there's so much to cover, and I want to make sure I touch on everything. So there's going to be a little bit of shifting around, and um, I think that obviously let's open up with, and it should be a no brainer at this point, NXT Takeover. NXT Takeover was fucking tremendous. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the short that's the short answer, and the reason I say that is because the NXT product has, without a doubt, come into its own from a wrestling sense. You know, it started off as just, oh, WWE's minor leagues or, you know, WWE's developmental system that's going to have its little TV deal to just get guys comfortable in front of the camera. And it's become so much more than that. With not only a who's who of names that have shown up there, but also the new stars that it has successfully created for WWE. And we're talking not just guys like Finn Balor or Shinsuke Nakamura or Samoa Joe's, because those guys, people knew them. But I'm talking about Sasha Banks. I'm talking about Bailey. I'm talking about Charlotte, Becky Lynch. Um, you know, guys like, and, and, you know, again, guys like, Gargano and Ciampa, who were well known on the independent circuit, but they just got a breath. They're a breath of fresh air in NXT. A tag team like the Revival, who I'm not, I'm not huge, a huge fan of, but I respect their work ethic and the matches that they put on. Uh, same thing can be said for, you know, a guy like Andrade Cien Almas, um, who was formerly La Sombra or Bobby Roode, and you know, you look at these guys. These guys are either established and creating a new legacy for themselves or the WWE machine just has succeeded in making them bigger than they already are. And NXT drove that point home throughout the program. We saw 
amazing wrestling from a lot of individuals. We saw some stellar entrances. I mean, Shinsuke Nakamura's entrance, if you haven't seen it, please look it up on YouTube. It is it it really is just a sight to see something special. And it just shows you what type of a special talent Nakamura is as a whole. Now, outside of that, I want to just go through well, you know, some of the stuff I enjoyed, some of the stuff that really blew my mind, and you know, some of the stuff that need a little work. So Austin Aries squared off against No Way Jose in a match that was substantially better than I had hoped. And I say this just because No Way Jose is over. The guy knows how to get the crowd involved. He knows how to work the crowd. But in terms of pure wrestling, he hasn't exactly blown me away. I was like, eh, you know, his wrestling is good. It's it's solid. But I was concerned that him going in there taking on a guy like Austin Aries who, you know, wrestles like like his life depended on it every match, we were going to have a disconnect of styles, a clash of styles, so to speak. And that wasn't the case. On the contrary, the match itself was surprisingly solid. Um, It led to an amazing finish with Austin Aries getting the pinfall and Hideo Itami coming out, getting in Austin Aries' face and delivering his patented GTS, which obviously was made famous by CM Punk, but originally belonged to Hideo Itami. Uh, that was one of those things that really drove the crowd fucking bonkers. I was I was blown away. I was like, all right, Tommy's coming out. What now? And, you know, the GTS thing was really cool to see, but it just opened up uh, the potential for an, a stellar feud between Aries and Itami. Itami obviously trying to regain his footing after that really terrible shoulder injury that he suffered, and I think him and A-Double are going to give us some really, really good matches. We also saw the debut of Ember Moon and Billy Kay. Uh, for a debut, obviously, TakeOver, TakeOver is known for its debuts. Ember Moon looks the part, definitely does, has an amazing finisher. I just felt that Billy Kay, I don't know, I'm not really sold on Billy Kay. I know that she's a, a talented wrestler. I don't know. I don't know if it's the velour outfit or the really cheesy music or you know, the big boot finisher, not, not sure. I just, something about Billy Kay just doesn't, just doesn't resonate with me. Not to say that she's bad by any stretch. She's not. I just felt that it didn't, her match with Ember Moon didn't look, you know, it just, it just didn't look as good as it should be. Slick says she's the blue version of Eva Marie. Slick, that is, that's a, that's a slight against Billy Kay. I think, I definitely think Billy Kay is a substantially better wrestler than Eva Marie any day of the week, but I can understand the comparison, that's for sure. Um, Ember Moon definitely has the look. The look is there. The uh, the entrance is there. The presentation is there. Uh, good to see another, you know, another 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 woman of color uh, wrestling on 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 a big stage. I think that we need to see more of that in the wrestling business. And this this isn't just. You know, me as a minority saying that, but I just think that we need to see more of it. I think that there is ample talent uh, across the board, regardless of race or gender. But I just feel that there's at times a a very, very big vacuum and a very big void. Uh, WWE has been doing a really good job in, in the diversity department across, you know, both its male roster and its female roster. Obviously, you know, you got, you know, Becky Lynch from Ireland, you got Naomi who's African American, you have, you know, you have a, a mixture of different superstars, Asuka of course, um, 
And I, I think it's a step in the right direction. And to see the response that Ember Moon had and for the crowd to really, I mean, there was definitely a little bit of apprehension, like, oh, how do we feel about this, this chick? But then as the match progressed, people were like, oh, shit, you know, she's, she's the real deal. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of Ember Moon's matches. I'd like to see her mix it up with a couple of other divas that have, uh, you know, different styles just to see if it's, if it was just, uh, you know, jitters from her and Billy Kay, or if it was just that Billy Kay isn't as good as people make her out to be at the end of the day. Um, you know, I, I was, I was pleased with the debut, just not overly pleased with the match. Now, Bobby Roode's debut, first of all, his entrance, tremendous. You know, his his glorious intro is, it's it's infectious. Everybody's just, just hooked on it. And obviously, Gargano and Ciampa's glorious bombs on social media have, have really strengthened that case. I mean, he had a great entrance. He was, he was given the proper respect for, for a guy who's been in this business for quite some time. And, you know, I think that, NXT and Triple H, they see the potential in Bobby Roode. I've always said that him, James Storm, they were underutilized and under and underdeveloped talents in TNA. And I say this because Bobby Roode originally debuted in TNA as a member of Team Canada during the uh, you know the World Cup uh, events that they would have, and then Roode broke off, uh, formed uh, an amazing tag team with James Storm, which is Beer Money. Set the set the tag team scene on fire. Continued to improve. Became TNA's champion, but at the same time became the quote unquote it factor. Um, you know the shit, the shit, the shit factor is what I called that gimmick because they just never leveraged it accordingly. The shirt he had was terrible. The music just wasn't that good. But Bobby Roode, he, he pressed on. He persevered, and before you knew it, he was. You know, here he is now in NXT on TakeOver, getting an amazing reaction in a in a very big arena uh, at the Barclays. And I think, you know, the, a guy like Bobby Roode can write his own ticket. Now, you know, we were having an interesting conversation in my office about it. And it's like, can Bo- Bobby Roode succeed on the main roster the same way that we all know he's going to succeed on the NXT roster? And to that, I say, yes. I think Bobby Roode is a guy that just needs an opportunity. And if you give him the ball, he is going to run with it. It's one of those things where, you know, you gave him you gave him a chance to be champion in TNA, he ran with it. You gave him a tag team opportunity with James Storm, they not only ran with it, but they delivered some stellar tag team matches. And you never would have thought that, you know, the quote-unquote rich guy Bobby Roode would mesh with the Tennessee Cowboy James Storm, but Little do, little do we know that what we were going to get. We also had a great pairing between Bobby Roode and Austin Aries as the dirty heels in TNA, albeit short-lived. But you never know. You may see a reunion of the dirty heels in NXT at some point. I think that um, right now both guys, they, they, you know, they have their roads pretty much planned out for them. But you never know. We may see a reunion of the, of the dirty heels or... We may even see a reunion of beer money down the road if James Storm's TNA departure is true. Nonetheless, Bobby Roode had a great debut. I think him and Andrade Cien Almas put on a great match. Uh, Cien Almas is a guy that he definitely has a great move set. Not really digging the Magic Mike, or as I like to say, the Magic Miguel vibe that he brings to the ring. 
but the fucking guy can wrestle his ass off. So, you know, small, small trade off, but either way, a uh, great debut for Rude and a solid match overall. Now, the NXT tag team title match was amazing. I gotta say, I was pretty much, you know, on the edge of my seat that entire, be- that entire match from bell to bell. Uh, great spots, great finishes, really shows that the revival is, is ready for the big dance and, they they weren't they weren't fucking around. I think that them that the chemistry between those two guys and Gargano and Ciampa is is off the charts. I'd love to see a second match. I'd love to see Gargano and Ciampa capture the NXT tag team titles. And I honestly think that the revival, even though I'm not a hundred percent into their gimmick and I feel they're a little vanilla looking, those boys could wrestle. I I mean there's lots of of you know reminders to the brain busters back in the day with Arn Anderson. And um, it definitely shows, you know, hard-hitting, great wrestling, and just textbook villainy from the revival. And I think that we can hopefully see more of that before they head up to the main roster. I think that they still have, you know, great matches in their in their, in their their arsenal, maybe a return match with Gargano and Ciampa, uh, possibility of a feud with TM61, and maybe even uh, going a step further with, um, you know, just taking those guys and maybe having the authors of pain get in the mix if we don't, you know, we don't keep booking them like like these glorified monsters and actually let them wrestle. Who knows? But either way, a stellar match between the Revival and Gargano and Ciampa. If you were in attendance for that match, you you definitely probably left with uh, with a little bit more uh, of an appreciation for watching it at home and not being deaf. That's for damn sure. Now, Asuka and Bailey's match, there was a great story going into the match. I felt that there was really good wrestling. I just felt that we didn't get the caliber of match that we could that we got from Bailey and Sasha and Bailey and Charlotte and in previous matches, hell, even Bailey and Nia Jax. I felt that while the match was good, and it did a great job in getting Asuka over. I kind of felt that, you know, at the end of the day, it, 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 and I'm going to be honest, if we knew that Bailey was going to be coming up, then I can see the match end the way it did. But I think that had Bailey won the match, it would have been good. But in the long game, you want to kind of book Asuka as this this monstrous heel. Well, not a monstrous heel, let me rephrase that. As a monstrous uh face of the women's division with her hardcore striking and and unique style because you can build a division around someone like Asuka and we're not even talking about the language barrier at this point just in terms of wrestling I think that Asuka has the tools to not only hold down NXT's women's division but also allow different uh you know women that are on the come up to to learn from her I think that there is great psychology and great storytelling that Asuka is capable of delivering in her matches. I just feel that, you know, people people are clamoring for Asuka, <clears throat> excuse me, Asuka and Bailey and some of these other uh women in NXT to get called up and you got to remember that you can't you can't shortchange one one roster to pad another that isn't going to even utilize that talent correctly. I think NXT has a lot of really great uh, performers now, and I think that there's ample there's ample time for Asuka and some of these other individuals to not only pass on their skills to the incoming crop of talent, but to also make enough of an impact 
that when they do make the jump to the main roster, that their departures don't create any sort of a vacuum. I mean, that's one of the things I felt that when with Bailey, I think Bailey, in my opinion, I'm like, all right, she's kind of peaked at this point. If she wins the belt, great. But if she went up to the main roster, the NXT women's division is still in capable hands. So we'll see what happens from there. But the match was good. Was it one of Bailey's best matches or one of Asuka's best matches? No. Now, Shinsuke Nakamura, Samoa Joe, as I said, Nakamura's entrance out of this fucking world, amazing and stellar in every sense of the word. And um, the match itself was hard-hitting, as you would expect. And, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura walked away the victor, which I think is good. I think Nakamura, much like Samoa Joe, are so so established and such a big presence that being champion is a no-brainer for either one of those guys. Nakamura, I think, within six months to a year, can can make his, his move up to the main roster. I'm, I mean, I know he mentioned in interviews he wants to improve on his English, and I think that's going to be a big factor. But he's such a, an enigma and such a persona in the ring and just the way he conducts himself that the, the language barrier, it's not, it's not terrible. It's really not. It's something that, honestly, many people can look past just because his wrestling is so over-the-top and so insane. His match with Samoa Joe was hard-hitting, uh, energetic, and really, really awesome to see. And I think that it's not going to be the last time we see these two individuals square off in a hard-hitting match. Overall, NXT TakeOver, in my eyes, was just a stellar, stellar event. Now, SummerSlam. (laughs) Here's the thing. I enjoyed SummerSlam, but it felt like 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 I was reading War and Peace. It was way too long. And forget it, if you were in live attendance, I felt, what was it, five hours, maybe more? It was just... Between the kickoff show and then the, the pay-per-view itself or the special event or whatever you want to call it, it was I was just like, holy shit. It was, I don't know, man. It was, it, I, if, if it would have been an hour shorter, it wouldn't have been bad. But there were a lot of good matches that I want to get into and a lot of, you know, really good showings. First off, kickoff match uh, with American Alpha High Bros, the Usos against the Ascension. It was cool to see that match. Did we need to see it again? No. Uh, Neville and Sami Zayn taking on the Dudleys for whatever reason, just because, you know, what, giving Neville something to do. I understood it wasn't necessary. Sheamus and Cesaro squaring off in the best of seven. I understand you wanted to kind of add a little punch to the kickoff to the kickoff card, but that should have been a pay-per-view card. And the, uh, you know, the women's match should have been the kickoff show match. But I understood why they did that, and I'll get into that in a moment. Uh, Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho defeating Enzo Amore and Cass. A lot of people were upset about it, obviously not giving Enzo and Cass the, the victory in their in their backyard, so to speak, was, was bad. But I think that it needed to happen in order to make the tandem of Jericho and Owens look the part and look like somebody that's, you know, like a duo that's capable of, of making an impact in the tag team division should creative choose to go in that direction. I mean, I always talk about wins and losses and they are important, but I think in the case of Enzo and big cast, they've reached a point where it, it, it doesn't kill them, you know? And 
the the chemistry between Owens and Chris Jericho is out of this world, and I think that the longer you keep them together, the more special it's going to be. I mean, you have the potential of creating some really, really awesome segments, which they've been doing already with Tom Phillips, and they've been having a good time with that. I mean, you know, Jericho's like, you know, you're going to get, and it's like, go ahead, ask him, ask him, it. And what is that? It. You know, like, they, like they're having some fun with that. Those guys look like they're really enjoying um, the backstage work and, and the interviews that they're putting in, and it definitely showed uh, in this match. I think that Kevin Owens has all the tools to to you know, carry the company as champion at any point. But I think that having a little bit of fun with Jericho isn't, isn't super terrible. That's all I'm saying. Charlotte defeating Sasha Banks. Many people were angry about it. I mean, I was to a point, but I also, you know, I, I kind of felt that there was a a decent amount of botches in that match. Uh, not to mention that Sasha Banks almost got her back broken for real, even though she was already injured to begin with. So, Definitely a lot of fuck-ups in that match. So I understood why Sasha had to drop the title to Charlotte. And it's fine. I have no problem with it. I mean, their match, was it as good as the match they had on Raw? Absolutely not. Not by any stretch. On the contrary, their Raw match definitely was leaps and bounds better than the pay-per-view match. But I also understand why it had to be done the way it had to be done. Just definitely not one of their better matches. That's for sure. Uh, the Miz and Apollo Crews was a good match. It wasn't great. I just felt that you wanted to give the Miz a good challenger. And Apollo Crews fit the bill. I know a lot of people thought, oh, man, Apollo's going to get the belt. Um, I, I thought that as well. But I think that Apollo needs a little bit more time and a more meaningful feud. I kind of feel that the feud between him and the Miz was a bit rushed for the sake of pay-per-view and didn't really get any sort of a simmer to you know get people invested more so. But, you know, it was all right. AJ Styles and John Cena. Holy shit. Stellar match. Another match. Edge of my seat. Pinfalls. Uh, you know, the way it was told. The storytelling that was involved. And Cena putting AJ Styles over clean. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, John Cena, blah, blah, blah. His shtick is tiresome. It is. Don't get me wrong. John Cena's gimmick isn't great. I mean, you know, as somebody who's older, obviously, I, I could care less about it. But John Cena as a performer, when he dials it in, he fucking dials it in. And that match was amazing. It was stellar in every sense of the word. It shows why a guy like AJ Styles is, you know, head and shoulders, one of the best talents on the roster today. And John Cena did a hell of a job. He told an amazing story. He ate a lot of crazy moves. And at the end of the day, the right guy went over because... As I've said, you know, every you need a good heel and a good face. And even though John Cena is, quote unquote, the face that runs the place, you got to establish a heel on par with a guy like Seth Rollins or a guy like Kevin Owens on Raw because SmackDown sorely needs it if you're trying to build the blue brand. I think, um, you know, you look at you look at Brock Lesnar, you look at these guys, you know, Raw has plenty of guys that can shoulder the burden of being the number one heel on that show. SmackDown is starting to get its footing, starting to become its own entity, and AJ Styles needs to be that guy. Simple as that. Slick ads. People who shit on on Cena piss me off because those same people chant Suplex City. John Cena has five moves of doom, but Lesnar is only using two when he has tons more. I agree. 
I think that the problem with Cena is that, and I've said this before, it's trendy to dislike him. You know, it's like, oh, it's a cool thing to boo John Cena. And it's true. Like I said, I'm not a fan of John Cena's gimmick just because I'd like to see something fresh, something different. But I do value what John Cena is doing. And, um, you know, he's 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 a guy that's willing to to put people over because he's tired of shouldering the burden himself. And I feel that AJ Styles has is is due. You know, it's it, it's cliche to say it, but I think AJ Styles, who's cut his teeth on the independence, was one of TNA's original fucking household names, uh, crushed it in New Japan. I think he has the pedigree and the tools to hold it down in WWE. Yeah, his mic work leaves a little to be desired, but you know what? You you guys did promote the shit out of Roman Reigns, who is substantially worse than AJ on the mic. That's all I'm saying. Either way, I'm glad AJ went over clean. I'm glad the match was balls to the wall amazing because I think Cena deserves it. He deserves the kudos and AJ definitely deserves the uh, the opportunity to be uh, a, a major player going forward. That's for damn sure. Now, Gallows and Anderson taking on the New Day ending in, you know, abrupt abruptly because of the return of Big E. It was what it was. Obviously, they wanted to get John Stewart in there. It was okay. I I, you know, it was filler for me. Um Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler's match, not my favorite match at all. I felt that, you know, Ziggler they did a lot to get Ziggler there, but I just kind of felt that Ambrose phoned it in, which is terrible of me to say. I just it felt like a match that we should be watching on Raw or SmackDown. It didn't have a big fight feel. It didn't have the energy that we thought it should have. And I mean, they really tried. When Ziggler super kicked him during the Miz's show, I was like, all right, we, we're seeing something fresh. We're seeing some energy. Um, on top of the fact that pacing it and putting that match before the Divas match was completely fucking stupid because, you know, the crowd was completely dead after the John Cena AJ Styles match, like I would have put Cena and AJ, you know, probably before the World Heavyweight Title match, but not before the Tag Team Title match. If you were going to throw that match out, then you should have had those matches with the with the screwy finishes earlier on in the night. That way, people's energy could just continue to be carried into the other matches of the evening. Again, that's just my take on things. Either way. You know, Ambrose getting the belt, you know, retaining, I should say, was fine. Uh, were we ready for Ziggler to be champion? Eh, it w- I, I kind of have a take it or leave it approach. Uh, just because Ambrose's championship run thus far, while it's great as a fan to see Ambrose get the opportunity to carry the company, I just don't feel that he's been used effectively. And I also don't think that, you know, the match with Ziggler had had any real oomph behind it and i mean you know ambrose can work and so can ziggler but i just i just wasn't feeling the match simple as that uh the divas match saw obviously eva marie's acknowledgement from her weird announcer guy that she wasn't going to be there but it did lead to the return of nikki bella which is a big plus for the smackdown women's division and regardless of whether you love nikki bella or hate her uh she definitely is and you know, to 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 steal it from John Cena, she 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 is capable of being a face that runs the place. She is capable of that. 
And obviously, I think that given her recovery from her neck injury, you know, it's been said she's going to be working a um, a limited schedule, which is fine. And, you know, she had a good pop when she came out. The match itself was okay. Again, just not a match that needed to be so close to the main event. Um, I'm just happy to see that Nikki Bella, Nikki Bella is not a fucking vegetable, you know, or that her career, she wasn't forced to retire due to injury. I mean, neck injuries in the wrestling business are, I always look at them as the death knell. That and concussions at this point. Just because, you know, when you get that first major neck injury, your your career is on borrowed time. We've seen it time and time again, um, you know, every time. And the thing about it is that for Nikki Bella, the injury that she sustained, it was it was a serious issue to the point where, you know, they felt that she would never wrestle ever again. And, you know, to see her come back and hold it down with some of the other more physically, you know, more physical divas in that match was good. And it was also a good environment where she didn't have to work too tough to put her, you know, her, her re her recovered body through any sort of a, a, of strenuous or, or over the top uh, matches. So, you know, I mean, over the top match as a whole. So it was good. I think the, uh, the multi tag dynamic was good and it was tailor made to bring her back. And it was a fitting replacement for Eva Marie who was going to come and actually have probably three seconds of total ring time in that match anyway. So it was, it was good overall. The universal championship match between Balor and Rollins was everything we thought it would be. Um, it was unfortunate that Balor got injured. Uh, you know, a lot of people are putting blame on Rollins, which I, I, I gotta, I gotta say this. Wrestling is a choreographed dance between two people and accidents happen. They do. Sometimes there is negligence. Don't misunderstand. There is negligence. There is uh, instances where people go into business themselves and shit goes wrong. But when you see how Balor got injured, which was taking the power bomb into the uh, the barricade, you know, the way Balor tried to support, you know, to catch himself was not the usual way to do it. And obviously, you know, it's tough for Rollins because he's already been in instances with guys, with, you know, Cena getting his, you know, getting his nose broken, uh, the situation with Sting, and now this with Balor. It's very easy to point the finger at Rollins, and I, I say that we shouldn't. I think that it could have happened at any time. It could have happened in a in a regular spot. I mean... The thing about wrestling is that the probability of injury is always there. It is always there. And, you know, people are like, oh, you know, Rollins, negligent, blah, blah, blah. Take it. Listen, both guys consciously agreed to do what they did. Balor just didn't take it correctly. I mean, you know what's crazy? Yoshitatsu, who many of you may remember was a WWE superstar, wrestled the match with AJ Styles, took the Styles clash wrong. And pretty much was almost paralyzed. The guy was in a neck collar for a for a, a, a decent amount of time. And it was very easy to blame AJ for that. But at the end, everybody was like, well, Yoshitatsu didn't take the, the bump correctly. And that's the whole thing, too. You know, it's very easy as an outsider to, to point fingers and go, oh, this or that or the other thing. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff at play where where it, you know, it. Uh, um, a shift to the left or a shift to the right can can end a person's career. I mean, 
Look at Charlotte and Sasha Banks' match. There were a few instances where I was just like, oh, my God, you know, how is she not crippled or how is she not hurt? And, um, you know, the same thing can be said now. It's just it's very easy to point the finger at Rollins just because Rollins was the one taking the powerbomb. But it was all, you know, the blame can also be placed on Balor for not taking it, not bracing himself correctly. And again, you're in the heat of the moment. Your arm is flailing. Anything can happen. But I, I wouldn't point a finger at Seth Rollins personally. I just I just feel that it's not it's not necessary. It's not because accidents happen. Uh, is, is it wrong that it happened on a pay-per-view and it happened to the guy that you were crowning your new champion? Absolutely. It is fucking terrible. It is, a you know, a devastating blow to the company as a whole and, you know, just to the roster in general because now, you know, everything is in flux. you got to crown a new champion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I felt that the match itself was tremendous. Also, props to Balor, who, you know, whose shoulder was dislocated. He fucking popped it back in and still finished the match, and it was it was still a great match. I mean, his entrance was, was top-notch, and the wrestling was really, really good. Simple as that. Now, Rusev and Roman Reigns' match being thrown out the way it was was, again, a waste. You could have moved that match back and maybe had the Universal title and then Ziggler and uh, Ambrose, and then, obviously, if Brock Lesnar is going to main event, let him main event and be done with it. But, you know, it, I understand, again, another situation where they did it. They didn't want to weaken Rusev, but they also didn't want to put the strap on Roman Whatever the case may be, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion on that match. I just felt it was a waste of fucking time to do that so late in the pay-per-view when you're practically at the four and a half hour mark. In any case, Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton's match ended in a TKO, raised a lot of questions. Obviously, many people thought it was a shoot and that Brock Lesnar went into the business for himself. I got to say, as a wrestling fan, I've been watching wrestling a long time. There's more and more chances of shit being a work than shit being a shoot. On top of the fact that if Brock Lesnar truly went into business for himself and did that to Randy Orton, there will be cops, there will be people running out there to stop this mauling from happening. There's a lot of safeguards in place. There's a lot of things in place with regards to that. You know, people were were disappointed with the blade job. And then obviously when it was found out that Brock Lesnar broke, you know, you know, cut open Randy Orton the hard way with MMA elbows. They're, um, (laughs) God, I can't even read what I just, the communique I just got. Anyway, you know, for there, there's a lot of, of factors here. You're, you're taking a guy like Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton and you're trying to make, you're not trying to have Randy Orton lose clean because you want to keep him strong for future matches because he's a guy that you're going to have around when Brock Lesnar decides to sit home with Sable after hunting sheep. You know, you don't, you don't want to do that. It's like, Hey, what are we doing? We're going to go outside and shoot some, some sheep and make some blankets. Okay. No problem. You know, like that, that's what Brock does. He goes, he hunts, he kills things. He, he wears them. He eats them. It is what it is. But, um, you know, there, there was, they definitely pushed it a little more than they should. Because you can't factor in how much a person is going to bleed. It is impossible. If I cut my finger and Slick cuts his finger and Jay Santy cuts his finger, we're all going to bleed. It's dependent on, you know, a, a litany of factors. Did any of us drink caffeine? 
Did any of us take anything that may thin our blood, et cetera, et cetera? We're all going to bleed differently. And for them to, to presume that, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to use an elbow to, break, you know, to make Randy Orton bleed and it'll be okay because we did it with John Cena and it worked. No, no, definitely not. Especially when Randy Orton was leaking on par with a horror movie. Like, it was a pool of blood. Like, and I mean dark horror movie style blood. Like, people were like, oh, my God, you know, children were scared. Parents were freaking out. It was insane, you know. And then, you know, you send Shane out there to defuse it, you know, and they try to get Randy cleaned up. And Brock, you know, F5 Shane. And that, you know, that creates a different narrative. But there was so much. There was so much going on in that match in terms of, like I said, you want to keep Brock Lesnar strong. Because at the end of the day, whether you love Brock or hate him, people do come to see him, you know, do his thing. Whether it's wrestle or fight or whatever the fuck it is. The guy is such a, a an enigma, such a monster, that you know that, that you can't just have anybody beat him cleanly. Like, it just can't be anyone. And again, Randy Orton had the best shot possible to... <laughs> Exactly, you bleed like Mei Ling. Um, that's pretty much it. You know, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of energy in that match, and there was a lot that I thought could have been done differently. But at the end of the day, I understood where they were going and what they were trying to do. You got to make Brock look strong, but not strong to the point where you're going to sacrifice Randy Orton in a pinfall. The TKO ending, you know, just adds to Brock's mystique. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt Randy Orton. The guys, you know, the guy's been wrestling forever. People will forget about this. But the problem is they're not going to forget about him bleeding like a stuck pig in the ring and people being all freaked out. It's, people aren't going to forget that. That vision is not going to leave anyone's mind anytime soon. And, um, you know, it was so believable that I'm going to get into a new story that happened, um, after that involving Chris Jericho in a moment. But, Overall, I felt SummerSlam, SummerSlam was really good, but that ending, that ending really, you know, it, again, I applaud WWE for taking risks and adding an air of real realism to some of the competition, but you can't expect for somebody to be busted open hard way with an elbow for it to be perfect because it's not, you know, you're taking, you're, there's a lot at stake here, obviously. You know, like I said, it could go either way. Brandy Orton could have got a concussion. He could have got more, you know, it could have been a bigger gash. He could have bled all over. There were so many things at play that could have gone wrong with that finish. And again, WWE, they're some gambling motherfuckers. They took a big risk with that. But it was a risk that had people talking, both in a good sense and a bad sense. At the end of the day, people were talking about it. And I hate to say it that way, but... It's true. There was there was a ton of conversation about it after the fact. People were just like, "Oh my god, you know, did you see that? It was fucking crazy." Like like that's the thing. People was it wrong? Sure. Could it have been better? Absolutely. Did they succeed in getting everybody fucking talking about it? You damn right. From real news outlets to social media to, to anything and everything. Everybody was talking about it. They were like, yo, was it real? Was it not real? Did Brock go into business for himself? Did Brock want to get even Randy Orton for Randy Orton's comment? Blah, 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 blah. It was, it was insane. It was insane. And with good reason. That's for damn sure. In any sense, 
Uh, in any case, SummerSlam was a good event. I enjoyed it. Could Did it need to be, you know, five and a half hours or whatever it was long? No. Were there some matches that you could have shelved? Sure. Was the pacing of the matches satisfactory? Could have been better. But at the end of the day, there was a lot... There were a lot of great matches that superseded anything that was necessarily overly wrong with the pay-per-view as a whole. Simple as that. Anyway, let's switch gears, jump into Raw. Obviously, with Finn Balor being injured, he relinquished the belt on Raw, which was it was sad to see. Um, but it did lead to the announcement of a Universal title tournament with um, a couple of decent competitors involved. Uh, Sami Zayn, Rollins, Owens, um, Big Kaz of all people, and Roman Reigns, which isn't a shocker. Overall, I kind of felt that this was a great opportunity for Cesaro and Sheamus to have a match and lump it into the best of seven, only because what the fuck is Big Kaz doing there? I understand, you know, that, that Enzo and Kaz are popular, but come the fuck on. Let's, let's be real. I, I'm being honest. Let's let's not kid ourselves. In any case, um, the final four for that match are Rollins, Owens, Big Kaz, and Roman Reigns, who defeated Chris Jericho. Um, not a bad not a bad four to to have for that match. I almost feel like it's inevitable that it'll probably be Rollins walking away with the Universal Title, but. We could be surprised. I mean, I'd love to see a, a guy like Kevin Owens get the universal title. I think Kevin Owens is right up there with Rollins in terms of being a heel. Uh, it would make for some interesting situations between him and Chris Jericho, given that they're a quote-unquote tandem now. And they were teasing a little bit of dissension in you know in the buildup, which was fine. But if I had to give the, tit- the universal title to anyone at this point to carry the company as a heel, it's got to be either Rollins or Owens simple as that I, I somebody was like but what if they decide to give it a big cast and i said throw yourself out a window it's not gonna fucking happen you'd you would love that but no <laughs> it's it's just not it's it's not happening in any case uh biggie and carl anderson faced off in a match that was about as academic as you could expect uh more so just because it was to show everyone that biggie was back which was fine uh, Big Cass's match with Rusev was, eh, it was okay. Neville's match with Owens, of course, is always good, and it continues to be the case. Owens, I, I mean, it was good to see Neville being even considered in that match, but we knew it was going to be Owens in any case. Um, Charlotte comes out with Dana Brooke talking her trash about Sasha Banks being defeated, blah, 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 and Mick Foley used it as a great opportunity to announce the debut and the signing of Bailey, which was great. I knew it was going to happen. I kind of felt she was going to go to SmackDown just because I thought SmackDown needed needed another face. But I guess they're going to, you know, kind of put their stock in Nikki Bella and uh, Becky Lynch and Naomi, which is fine. But um, it was good because it obviously led to a match between Bailey and Dana Brooke, which was which was good. It wasn't great. I think Dana Brooke still needs a little work, but. If you wanted to reinforce why Bailey needs needed to be on the main roster, the reception that she got from the crowd at the Barclays was amazing. And Bailey has all the tools to be, you know, the John Cena of the women's division. You know, the face that runs the place. Uh, she definitely is beloved by all the fans. She's, you know, she brings a positive, positive, uh, a, you know, positive messages to little girls. It's great. I think uh, Bailey being on Raw is, is going to be good for her. 
And I'm sure that her and Charlotte, when they do square off, it's going to be another memorable match. Then, of course, we got our glorified squash match of the evening between Braun Strowman and Johnny Knockout. And um, it was... Oh, man, it was... <laughs> oh, Christ. Um... It, it was, oof. I, I mean, you know, the, the, the interviews that they're doing with the people that are going to get squashed. <laughs> Fuck you, Jimbo Slice. <laughs> um, the interviews that are done with the, with the people that are about to be squashed are always interesting. Um, it was, it was a weird exchange between Johnny Knockout and Byron Saxton about why he was doing this match. And Johnny Knockout responded that he liked big, sweaty men. And I'm just like, uh, okay. And it was weird because the announce team didn't even know how to take that, which was insane. Like, they were trying to find a way to to, to navigate around that commentary. It was it was absurd. But um, just another squash for, for Braun Strowman. You know, about as academic as it can be. And last but not least, I got to acknowledge the retirement of the Dudley boys. You know, there, there was a message on social media and obviously their SummerSlam appearance. And there were rumblings that the Dudley boys were going to be done with WWE. And this, this, you know, their, their swan song at the end on, you know, on raw was, was, was solid. I think it was great. The Dudley boys were without a doubt, some of the, some of the innovators in the tag team division. I mean, the TLC matches, alone are a testament to how solid those guys work together. Um, I really didn't like that. I understood why they sent, you know, Gallows and Anderson out there to attack them and to do what they did. And I understand why they sent the, they sent the rising stars out there again, just to get a little heel heat. But I really would have liked the Dudley boys to just depart and depart on their, on their own terms, you know, do a, you know, put somebody through a table, you know, the usual Dudley stuff and then go on their way. Like I said, I, I understood why the company did what they did to put the other tag teams over. But these guys, if they are, you know, they are, they did retire. It's, it's been confirmed. And, um, I was bummed. I was bummed that they went out the way they did. Like I said, I understood why it was done. doesn't necessarily mean I like it. As for what happens to the Dudleys now, obviously a uh, hall of fame induction is, is a definite at this point. Uh, are they going to go back to running their school? Maybe. Are they going to work the independence? Maybe. Um, you know, the Dudleys still have some life left in them. I think if they went to New Japan for a little bit, they'd probably they'd probably run roughshod over a lot of the competition over there and be super over. I know that they're probably not going to go back to TNA just because TNA right now is kind of in a restructuring period, but you never know. I feel that the Dudleys contributed a lot to the tag team division. They were obviously you know, ECW originals through and through. And I think that when the time comes and they do get inducted into the hall of fame, I can say at least for me personally, that it is well-deserved simple as that overall raw was good. Was it great? Not really for a, for a post pay-per-view raw, but you know, it was all right. SmackDown live on the other hand, saw a couple of good things. We saw a uh, SmackDown live women's title the announcement of the SmackDown Live tag team titles, and of course the tournament that would go, that would be uh, held with the winners obviously being crowned at Backlash. Same thing with the women's title, where a winner would be crowned at Backlash, courtesy of a six pack challenge. 
Uh, SmackDown was good. I mean, AJ Styles and Dolph Ziggler had a stellar match. Again, showing that Ziggler, when you put him in there with, with a good opponent, he's going to just be what you would expect. Um, Brizongo and American Alpha's match was really good. Uh, Got to give a lot of credit to Tyler Breeze and Fandango, even though they're not, you know, they're not being used to their full potential. I think that their pairing has been amusing, and I think to, that they work really well together and they have great chemistry. Can you do something more with them? Yes. Are they? Remains to be seen. Uh, Nikki Bella and Carmella, obviously we know where this is going, setting up a feud for Nikki Bella against the uh, the upstart. I think it's a, it's a good way to go. Uh, not sure who's going to work the heel here because, I mean, Nikki Bella had a really good reaction when she came out. Are you going to try and put energy into a Nikki Bella face run or are you going to uh, keep Nikki Bella heel and focus your energies on Carmella? Remains to be seen. Uh, the opener with uh, Becky Lynch and Alexa Bliss was really good. Shows why the women's division on SmackDown is going to be worth watching. I think that, you know, you got really good talent there and I think that Naomi, Becky Lynch, Natalia, and like I said, even Nikki Bella have the potential to really make an impact for that division, that's for sure. Now, the post-SmackDown Talking Smack had a crazy, crazy segment uh, with The Miz and Daniel Bryan, which I shared the, the link for the promo, and I shared the video in the RageWorks Facebook group, but it was probably some of the best mic work I've seen out of The Miz. And again, it was one of those instances where you looked at the the exchange between him and Daniel Bryan, and you had to ask yourself, was it a work? Was it, was it a shoot? Was it a combination of the two? There was so much energy in the room. And just the reaction that was you know, from The Miz and from Daniel Bryan, and, and even from Renee Young, who added to that, it was just crazy to see. As for Daniel Bryan a guy who I've been a fan of since his American Dragon days on Ring of Honor. Um, you know, The Miz The Miz delivered some really powerful stuff that, you know, you could see just Daniel Bryan, and this shows why Daniel Bryan's a, a, an excellent performer. You could see his, his heart breaking. Like, there was a point where, you know, The Miz is yelling at Daniel Bryan, and he's like, you know, you, you, you promised everybody you'd come back, and you didn't. And you could just see Daniel Bryan, he was like, yeah, because the company wouldn't let me come back. And the Miz says to him, they're like, yeah, well, you could have just as easily quit and gone back to work wrestling at the bingo halls if you wanted to wrestle so much, you know, and it was it was a powerful, powerful promo where it goes and what they do remains to be seen. But man, did the Miz remind everyone that he is an underrated and still, you know, let me rephrase that is not only underrated and overlooked superstar, but is a superstar that when you give him a microphone and you let him turn it up a notch, is capable of delivering some memorable stuff. And I got to say, over the last couple of months, and you know, I've, I've said my, my, my negative remarks about The Miz, I'll say it, but over the last few months, if you've listened to MTR, you know that I've said that he's, a, he's improved quite a bit, both in the ring and on the mic, and he's probably one of the few guys that has crossover potential that can easily transition from, you know, going and promoting WWE on Good Morning America to coming out and cutting a powerful, powerful promo like he did on Talking Smack. Uh, really, really good. Looking forward to seeing where they go with it because, man, there was, if you haven't seen it, do yourselves a favor, check it out. It is, it was tremendous. All right. So 
last bit of wrestling news to wrap things up for this week. Eva Marie, as many of you know, was suspended. Turns out that she was suspended for Adderall, but not in the way that you think. According to numerous wrestling websites, they're saying that Eva Marie was suspended because she did not provide a prescription for Adderall in a timely fashion. It's been said that all performers are required to disclose all medication to WWE officials in a timely fashion, and Adderall was not properly approved. Uh, Eva Marie told WWE she has a legitimate prescription, and she apparently plans to appeal the suspension. Here's the thing. You know, her boyfriend going on Twitter or her husband or whatever. Oh, you know, you guys, wait till you guys find out what she got suspended for, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. If you're medically supposed to take Adderall, whether it's you paying a doctor to say that or or be it being genuine, there are, there are systems in place that you're supposed to follow and you didn't. As a result, you got punished for it. To sit here, I'm going to appeal, bitch, it's 30 days. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. And I, you know, I don't want to come off crass or rude, but seriously, it's 30 fucking days and nobody is chomping at the bit to see Eva Marie wrestle ever. Nobody was heartbroken when that suspension was announced. Nobody, people were like, okay, see you in 30 days. That's exactly how we titled it. See you in 30. Because at the end of the day, nothing, it it didn't even matter. And for her to sit there, I'm going to appeal. You're going to appeal what? 30 days? Out of which, out of the 30, you got four Raws or four episodes of SmackDown? Come on. It's 30 days. Take your suspension like a champ. You fucked up. You didn't submit your documentation and your paperwork. Move on. You're going to issue a statement to TMZ. Like like the world is waiting for Eva Marie's statement. Oh, I wonder what she has to say about that. It's 30 days. You're, you fucking wrestle. Stop it. And that's the thing that got me. You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, she, she, she has a prescription. Okay, so what? You had a prescription. If they told you, we got to have the prescription in advance, 30 days in advance, and you decided that you weren't going to turn it in until, I don't know, five days before, you're going to get punished for it. That's how it goes, period. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that she needs it or she doesn't need it. It's the fact that there are systems in place. Hey, you're supposed to take this stuff. We need to have documentation. And the thing is, in the wake of Brock Lesnar's suspension from the Athletic Commission, WWE is being extra on top of the suspensions because they don't want any bad press, especially after inserting their foot, you know, inserting their foot in the, the their foot in their mouths saying that, "Oh, you know, Brock is a part-time performer. His his drug usage doesn't matter." That's pretty much how they how they worded it, you know? So, is it right? Is it wrong? She didn't follow the rules. You got to pay the price. It's fucking 30 days. Stop it. Oh, I'm going to I'm going I'm going to appeal it. Get the fuck out of here. During the SummerSlam kickoff show, you saw that there were going to be now uh Raw and SmackDown branded pay-per-views with Backlash being for SmackDown and Night of Champions being for Raw. In total now, you're going to get 19 pay-per-views or quote-unquote special events with uh, seven brand-only events throughout the year. Good, bad, doesn't doesn't matter to me. Honestly, again, you're paying 10 bucks a month. You could easily be paying the 50 or 60 if it was on cable. So it's great. You know, you're getting more pay-per-views or special events. It, it's good for everybody. It's good for, for, for the brand extension that you're trying to reinforce. I got no problems with it. As I mentioned earlier, Finn Balor 
was um, had to relinquish his title due to injuring his shoulder at SummerSlam. Uh, he went under the knife earlier today, well, now yesterday, and is expected to be back in four to six months. Um, according to what WWE.com posted, they said that Balor's condition was a lot, a lot more serious than, than many people thought. The injury was a lot more serious, but the overall recovery time remains four to six months, given that they felt confident that, you know, they were able to address the injury appropriately. We'll see what happens. But in any case, uh, four months is, you know, fingers crossed, six months is max. So we'll see what happens when Balor returns to action. Now, um, the big thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, post-SummerSlam. Many people probably saw on social media and on numerous internet wrestling websites that Chris Jericho got nearly got into a physical altercation with Brock Lesnar as a result of what happened at SummerSlam. So what ends up happening is, obviously, Randy Orton's bleeding, Brock Lesnar's there, Chris Jericho's by the gorilla position, he's asking everybody, like, hey, is this a work, is this a shoot, you know, whatever, concerned, obviously, because you got this guy fucking leaking out there, you know, like a faucet. So what ends up happening, he was asking people, uh, he wasn't getting answers, he was annoyed, about it, you know, and I guess Brock overheard him and Brock said something and Chris Jericho got in his face and, um, you know, Chris Jericho grabbed Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar pretty much was like, either you're going to punch me in the face or you're going to kiss me. Like, you know, Brock Lesnar's a fucking massive human being. He don't give a shit. And Chris Jericho, he was, you know, he was trying to stand, you know, stand up for for his colleague, which was cool. You know, it was all right. But, um, they were about to beat the shit out of each other. Vince McMahon jumped in. Triple H jumped in. They were like, listen, it's a work. It's a work. Calm down. And Randy Orton um, allegedly pulled Chris Jericho over to the side. He said, yeah, you know, this, we agreed to this. This was this was the plan finish. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of people were like, they, they applauded Jericho for being a ballsy son of a bitch, which he is. I mean, you know, he had an altercation with Goldberg a few years back, which, you know, many people have talked about. Uh, same thing with Brock. And make of it what you will, but you know that you did a good job when you're even working your own employees. Like, that's how crazy that shit was with SummerSlam. Like, you worked your own employees. Well, your own employee, for that matter. Like, it was it was legit. Like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, that was crazy when I read that. But, you know, I, I, applaud, I applaud Chris Jericho for standing up for his, um, you know, for his colleague. Vince McMahon allegedly yelled at Chris Jericho told him it's a work, what's wrong with you? Um, you know, it was it was just funny. I can imagine, you know, the conversation, like, all right, Brock is going to elbow you in the head and you're going to bleed, all right? And Randy's like, okay, cool. And then all of a sudden, it's like, holy shit, this guy's fucking bleeding everywhere. And it's just a massive scramble to make sure that the guy doesn't fucking bleed to death in the ring. Meanwhile, people don't know if it's real or not. And, of course, nobody's going to divulge it because Vince McMahon probably threatened them with death. So... <laughs> Uh, definitely a lot of factors there. Like I said, you know, glad that it worked out the way it worked out and that it turned out to be a work and not a shoot. Cause that would have been a different, a, a different scenario. Um, Chris Jericho, man, ballsy son of a bitch. I got to give him that. And, uh, you know, Randy Orton got 10 staples, which you guys saw on SmackDown live. And now they're, they're preparing to have Randy feud with Bray Wyatt, which, uh, should be interesting. That's for sure. Last bit of news to wrap things up aside from that was the 
uh, announcement of the Cruiserweight division on Raw, which they showcase some of the uh, roster additions, courtesy of the Cruiserweight Classic, including Brian Kendrick, TJ Perkins, Noam Dar, and of course, Rich Swan. The Cruiserweights debut on, on Raw on September 19th. Um, all great additions. Brian Kendrick is a veteran capable of, of really holding it down in the Cruiserweight division. Plus, you got a couple of guys already there that meet that requirement. You could probably have Neville uh, be, a, be a guy that can carry that division. Um, Sami Zayn, possibly, depending on, on the weight limit. Uh, but either way, I think it's great. I think it's awesome to see them trying to showcase the cruiserweights. We'll see how well they do with it because now you got obviously universal title, women's title, IC title, tag team titles, and now the cruiserweight title. So five belts, three hours of TV, the balls in your court, WWE, don't let us down. We'll see what happens. Anyway, with that said, that is the last bit of wrestling news to wrap up the wrestling segment and this week's episode of MTR. So with that, I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. As always, I would love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official rage works on Twitter. You can either follow us at my take radio or at rage underscore works. Either way, we're always ready to interact with you guys. You can also find rage works on Instagram, Pinterest, Google plus, and any other social media outlets, including Snapchat. We're actually on Snapchat as well, which is RageWorks on Snapchat. Last but not least, this episode and previous episodes can be found at RageWorks.net. Just look in our podcast section and find episodes of MTR there. In addition, you can also find archived audio for this episode and previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio in podcast format. And the video is available on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official rage works. All right, guys. Thank you guys for joining me for this episode of MTR. Join us later today. Now that it's Thursday for the gaming and entertainment edition of MTR at 1130 PM Eastern, 830 PM Pacific. Uh, Just a reminder, there will be no live episodes of my take radio next week. We will be back uh, September 7th. At 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific for the MMA and wrestling edition of MTR. Thank you guys, as always, for your continued support. I will see you guys later. Peace. Come